Hey everyone, thanks for listening to The Rewind. I'm Casey French. In this episode, we're going to speak with Caitlin Bradley, who is a barrel racer, former Miss Rodeo Wisconsin, and founder of the Western Thoroughbred, which has a massive social media following. So we're going to talk to her about more in-depth pedigree analysis on this year's top 15 competing at the NFR and their thoroughbred influence, as well as some trending bloodlines in the barrel racing industry. Stay tuned. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what's going on? Well, um, just taking a breather from all the work I've been doing this fall and getting to sit down and look at some pedigrees here and talk thoroughbreds and barrel racing. Awesome. So I know, you know, you have the Western Thoroughbred blog and website, which has over 13,000 followers on Facebook. You've got close to 7,500 on Instagram. You have the website. You've got a lot going on with that. But you also have another job too, right? Yes, I actually work full-time in agriculture. I am a NNP and GPS technician with AgSource Laboratories. And that's actually a nationwide company, but I'm based in Wisconsin, so I do a lot of soil sampling and uh, working with farmers directly on their farms, trying to help improve operations and stuff like that. So I get to do quite a bit in agriculture as well. You know my husband's a soil fertility specialist, right? A soil <laughs> and fertility, rather, sorry. I actually did not know that. Yeah, so I get to listen to the periodic table of elements spout it off like all day and it's so Greek to me I'm like what are you guys talking about it's like a million different things but I, I got really good on my elements thanks to that so um anyway I know you got a lot on your plate so how do you balance all that um basically any free time I have is spent researching horses and uh, riding my own horse when I do get a chance but uh yeah just basically any downtime I get, I'm spending that time researching, and it doesn't feel like I'm giving anything up because I really enjoy it. So, speaking of which, you are definitely one of the most passionate people that I think I have ever come across, the, like, just in general, not just solely focusing on thoroughbreds, just, I mean, overall, whether it be quarter horses, you know, anything I've come into interaction with. Where did that come from? Like, what sparked your passion and drive for doing everything that you do now, which is quite a bit? So I guess I'm not really sure. I just know that even when I was really little, I really enjoyed watching horse racing, barrel racing, all of it. If it had to do with horses, I was there at the TV just totally engrossed in it. So I can remember, you know, following the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup since I was very, very young, and I had always also shown just locally, you know, going to county fairs, that sort of thing, and um, really something we only did in the summer, never too competitive or anything, but um, when I got a bit older, I kept bugging my mom, like, I really want to get a thoroughbred off the track, <laughs> like, and of course, she thought I was crazy, and everybody else thought I was crazy also, but Finally, she said, she caved and she said, okay, if you can pay for it with your own money, I'll let you get a thoroughbred off the track. And as soon as I turned 16, got a job and saved a little bit of money, that's what I did. I 
adopted a thoroughbred off the track. He was sprint bred and Mm -hmm. I got incredibly lucky because, you know, 16, I had hardly patterned a horse myself, um, hardly knew anything really about training a barrel horse. And I sought help from a local trainer and she got him started and to the point where he could start working the pattern a bit. And I had uh, played around with him for a few months, started entering, and within a sh- few short months, he went from a 40 horse to us placing in the cutie at a few big shows with 200 to 300 entries. Wow. And good. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got incredibly lucky with that horse. So, and when I started college, I kind of realized that I couldn't afford to keep competing and pay for school. So, I made the tough decision to sell him, and he actually ended up um, going on and winning some bulls and barrels, doing really well at open rodeos, and he's still competing, and I still really enjoy following him. So, you know, I I don't think I could have had a better first experience with thoroughbreds, and I mean, you obviously had a great experience with your mare as well, and I don't think that my horse was quite that high caliber, but he just took to it so extremely easily that um, from that point on, you know, I really believed in these horses and knew that somebody had to be their voice. And a uh, few, few years later, I guess that kind of became me. And, and there's so many things that I, I want to talk about with what you just said. And one of them, you started out saying, I, I think I got really lucky. And I mean, you know, in a way you did and in a way you didn't. I think that um, there are a lot of misconceptions of what you're getting when you get an off-the-track thoroughbred. But a lot of it has to do with maybe what that horse's experience was prior to coming to you. Um, I think, I know personally, you know, like even the one that I got, he only had two outs in the track. But by the time I got him home, Albie I'm talking about, by the time I got him home, he pretty much knew a lot of the basics. You know, he didn't know everything I needed him to know, but he knew a lot more than what I thought. Um, And so I think that's something that people don't take into account is the, you know, the amount of training that they get prior to to coming to you, which is quite a bit, especially if they run, um, you know, for for longer than, you know, longer periods of time. The more time that they're out there on the track, the more experience that they're getting and the more prepared they are by the time they do get to you. So, um and then the price is another thing that you were talking about, um, just being able to afford them. There's so many different places that you can adopt, and there's also um, – it's not – quarter horses used to be like that. Uh, you know, going back um, years ago, you could buy a off-the-track quarter horse for a decent amount of money. Um, that wasn't very expensive at all, you know, like pretty cheap. But now they've all caught on, you know. <laughs> they are on to us. <laughs> So um, they know what we're looking for, you know, and what we're going to buy and what we're going to pay money for. And it it wasn't like that in the past. So um, I think that there's also so many good thoroughbreds that are out there that have been run that people don't know that were thoroughbreds. I had one for sure. Um, What are some horses that you think of right now that are out there doing well in barrel racing currently? Um, there's a couple in the WPRA that come to mind that um, have done some great things, even once in pro rodeos. Uh, I know one of them is actually here in Minnesota, and she's not um, hitting the pro rodeos as much anymore, but that would be Argazi, and she's owned by Lindsay 
Lindsay Nordic, and uh, she Lindsay actually earned her pro card on that mare, and they've had tremendous success not only in the WPRA but also at some amateur rodeos. Um, there's um, a few others out west. Uh, highly testable would be one of them. She was actually she didn't go to the track at all. She was bred at the University of Arizona, and she's running right now with Brianne Hansen. And they've placed um, at some pro rodeos in California um, and in the south southwest region down there, uh, just doing absolutely phenomenal. And another one I can think of would be his name's Nazmune, and he's this big uh, gray gelding, and he's run at Cheyenne. Uh, he's won a pro rodeo in Utah, and he's even, uh, uh, I think he came really close to making the short go at Pendleton. So, yeah, there's a couple out there that, and you're completely right. Like, if you were looking at them and you didn't know, you can't pick them apart from a running bred quarter horse or uh, some of the shorter ones. I mean, they'd even fit right in with any quarter horse, you know. It's very hard to tell the difference. Yeah, no no one knew that Dorothy's Secret, the mare that I ran for such a long time, was a thoroughbred. Like, no one. And I don't think that they cared. You know what I mean? Because I think they just cared that she won. And that's all I cared about, too. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't like it was um, it was different. You know, it was just – I think back then it was just – it was a different time than what it is now. It's just kind of going at each different direction. But I also saw – that um, what's the horse that's in is it the horse in Canada the gray one that the girl was winning in high school rodeos on yeah so that's one that I actually just recently featured um on our page and um that horse's name is Spotted Charm I think he's seven or eight years old and he is so cool he, yes like he's a lot <laughs> um <laughs> yeah him and his owner are actually leading the Alberta High School Rodeo Association right now for points in the barrel racing and um, just, he has such an awesome turning style and just uh-huh. so smooth and efficient. So he's a really nice one too. Um, I also know of one down in Texas that, uh, I think she's in Texas, but they ran at the NBHA Youth Worlds and his name is Carry That Weight. Uh, uh-huh. that's another really nice, um, horse that's doing well with a youth rider and just, uh, doing some tremendous things and placing and even winning at some bigger barrel races with a lot of entries so that's cool to see yeah so are you noticing I know you know the pedigrees and everything on every single one of these guys that we were talking about are you seeing what are you seeing the most um what are you seeing the most like on their papers what do you what horses coming across there the most times yeah so really sometimes there's oddities out there and the horses I think confirmation is probably the most important thing to look at. And sometimes that isn't always connected to pedigrees. But um, if I had to pick out a few trends, I would say the Breeders' Cup Classic winner, he has um, some horses, whether they are his direct sons and daughters or um, some of his grand gets. They're doing extremely well in barrels and other Western events. so awesome again is probably at the top of my list or toward the top of my list. Uh, broad so brush, funny. he's a stallion. <laughs> I, I know you have you have an awesome again. So 
Um, they all look, they all have that look. I feel like yeah. that is something that they, they have that, that barrel horse and performance horse look about them where they are just that big bone and low hocks. And I mean, I just take, that's why I picked mine was just purely based on confirmation because I'll just go ahead and tell everyone, I do not know that much about thoroughbred lineage. I know what I know through barrel racing, which has been, you know, your common stuff like Coupe Cat, Disco Jerry, you know, that type yep, of thing yep. that we see a lot, you know. Um, but that's been back in the day. Now, you know, breeding has changed and evolved so much since that time. You know, there's new thoroughbreds out there that um, you can be on the look for, at, you know, look out for as well. And I agree with you on the, the awesome, awesome again for sure okay what's the next one sorry <laughs> that's okay um broad brush he's another one that i see on the bottom side of a lot of thoroughbred barrel horses and uh, mm-hmm. that's much older school breeding kind of same thing with gulch mr prospector and uh, those horses come up more on the bottom side but then um swiss yodeler would be another one kind of like awesome again that just really stamps them and I think that some of his sons have actually been crossed on quarter horse mares. So um, the quarter horse industry and racing industry kind of caught on to that one. So uh, but some of his full-blooded thoroughbred descendants that he has have done really well as barrel horses. And then another one would be Salt Lake, which um, mm-hmm. that that horse and had a son that actually stood at Four Sixes Ranch for a while a full-blooded thoroughbred son that stood there. And then that would also be um, uh, there's a couple horses that are um, running in the WPRA that aren't thoroughbreds but go back to Salt Lake. So pretty good. What is, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm totally blanking out, the four sixes or Ketchum Cowboy? Yes, Ketchum Cowboy. And then your friend or someone you know has a mare that's running. That's by that Ketchum. Yes. Abby Purple has the Pearl Snapping horse that I was totally excited when I saw that she um, was by a thoroughbred stud. And um, he was at the four sixes as well with the other one that you were talking about. And they have really had quite a few. They had to be cast too, right? Wasn't it four sixes? I am not sure on that one, but it wouldn't I surprise me. They they really yeah. like their thoroughbreds. <laughs> they do. They do. They, it seems like they always have one. I hope, I hope that they'll be getting another one soon. I saw that. Um, Robichaux Farms, which is, you know, kind of close to me in my background. I've been there many times when I was, you know, in college and growing up. Um, we actually had bred horses to some of their studs that were there before, too. But they have two thoroughbreds that they're going to be um, breeding the quarter horses, right, that they're doing? Yes, and Into Mischief is going to be one of those. And we've actually already seen some barrel horses with Into Mischief as their sire as full-blooded thoroughbreds. So I imagine that his cross on quarter horse mares is going to be pretty great. Yeah, that would so, be a fun That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. in the future, I think it will be. That would be really neat. So I know that you've done, speaking of pedigrees, while we're on that subject, you went into um, all the pedigrees of the top 15 horses that are running at the NFR right now. Um, you found quite a few that were – 70s, 80% thoroughbred, right? Yes. Um, I started doing this last year because it occurred to me that a lot of people don't realize that the barrel horses they run, they're running have so much thoroughbred in, influence, and I thought it would be a neat way to show it um, by analyzing the pedigrees of these horses at the NFR because everybody's super familiar with them, and they can relate um, 
So had a, had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and last year it was Amberly Moore's horse Paige that was the most thoroughbred. She comes out at like 80 points. 1% or something like that. And this year there was actually a horse that outdid it. Um, and that's Lucinda Rose's mare. Um, that I don't think she's run yet. Um, yet at this year's NFR, but, um, maybe we'll see them, you know, we'll see it before the end of the week though. I think a lot of people are going to be doing some, we'll see some horse changes. We've seen a few so far, but just watching the rounds. Um, it just depends, though, too. You know, you never know if people are, you know, looking for more of an average win or what their thoughts are. You know, they know their horses better than anyone. But I do expect that maybe we'll see a few ones, new ones start coming out now that we've got five rounds out of the way. So that'll be really interesting. But I think I think really was the, the craziest thing or the one thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, we were actually talking about this yesterday was Tongo. And um, everyone is super interested in, you know, Tongo and his pedigree. But everyone keeps claiming that, you know, how he's, he's a Hancock. And I'm like, well, what about the 20,000 other racehorses that he has in papers? <laughs> and they aren't, they aren't giving them credit. So what's, what's going on with that? So um, I'm wondering, did you break it down to find out how much actual Hancock blood is in Tongo? Yeah, so I did, and he goes back to Hancock quite a few times. So, of course, Hancock being Joe Hancock, starting that um, line of quarter horses uh, way back in the day. I, th- I think it's funny when anybody refers to anything being Hancock bred just because we're talking about the early 1900s and probably something, you know, that's 10 or 15 generations back. I mean, it's a long ways back in most cases. But especially in Chongo's case, um, he does go back to Joe Hancock 19 times, which is probably a lot. Than... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's quite a few times. Um, but that's in 10 generations. And overall, even though Joe Hancock's in there that many times, he still only contributes to less than 3% of Chongo's oh, wow. pedigree. So. Oh, wow. And the the rest of it, um, there is cow horse breeding in there, of course, but he still comes out to being 43% thoroughbred in mm-hmm. eight generations. So I'm assuming in 10 generations that, that that's even more. But um, the further you go back, the more thoroughbreds you find. But, yeah, so he's definitely more thoroughbred and more racehorse than he is Shermcock. Unfortunately right. for all those people that all are the, excited. All the <laughs> lovers yeah. out there yeah, yeah yeah i mean i mean i mean like you know he does but i think it's um it, maybe we need to be giving credit to some other cow horses i'm just throwing that out there you know credit to some cow horses and maybe you know the 43 percent thoroughbred <laughs> yes so um speaking of which i know that you have just um some really incredible stories about thoroughbreds and how you know, they've evolved and how they actually were very incorporated in the beginning of quarter horses. And um, what would be your favorite story that you've come across so far as far as thoroughbred history goes? Gosh, that's a tough one because I, I really enjoy the history of it. It's probably my my favorite part of it. And I didn't realize at first when I first started doing this, all I wanted to do was feature horses that were currently competing and running now and highlight their careers so that more people would see that these horses 
do have potential as barrel horses, rope horses, or whatever you want to mold them into. That that was my goal, was just to feature current horses, but the history kind of snagged me. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, a lot of people don't know this, but um, quarter horse, while the term does mean a horse that um, runs best over a quarter mile, that term was originally used in thoroughbred stud books, like, way back, <laughs> like like mm-hmm. in the late 1600s. So the term quarter horse wasn't originally just used on, in thoroughbred stud books to designate horses that ran well short. Mm-hmm. So, li- yes, literally the original quarter horses were thoroughbreds, and really not much has changed until the 1900s when we established the American Quarter Horse Association. So there's a lot that happened pre-AQHA, but um, – I would say some of my favorite stories or my favorite stallion that kind of came in after uh, in the 1940s would have to be Pig and String. Um, mm-hmm. not, not a lot of people know of him, but he's pretty common in the pedigrees of barrel horses, roping horses. You'll actually see him quite a bit in like the heading and healing horses at the NFR, I think. The couple of pedigrees that I looked at, he was in there this year. So pretty, pretty cool stallion. And, uh, he actually sold at the first ever Caneland sale in Lexington, Kentucky. And it was, uh, two guys that came looking for a horse that would cross well on their quarter horse mares. And that's all they wanted. So they didn't even open the stud book or look at any of the pedigrees and they chose the horse solely on confirmation. And they brought they brought him back to the Southwest, and he ended up winning a couple um, quarter horse racing championships when they still raced thoroughbreds and quarter horses together. He um, was fabulous on the track, and but they also trained him to be a saddle horse and showed him at the Tucson Livestock Show, and he beat quarter horses in that too. So just just a really neat stallion and. I don't think a lot of people know of Pig and String, but he would probably have to be my favorite. And I love that story. That's some really, and we don't see horses do that that often anymore, where they're, you know, run on the track, um, ridden and shown, and all that sort of thing. So, just that's really neat to see. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's interesting too, because um, I don't know if you listened to my last podcast with Elena McKinney, but. <laughs> They were basically, or she was saying that that is more along the lines of how they are choosing their horses now is just based on the way that they are made and not really looking as much at the pedigree. You know, I think, I think they're like anyone and they think it does matter, but that's not, that's not really what's making them choose a horse. And I just love that. And I love that about, you know, the story with taking strain as well, because I do believe that's something that's really true. And I think that's where, People are also, you know, saying that some of these horses that are coming out are outliers, and they're really not outliers. They're just made well, and they're made to do the job. And if we would try, you know, maybe if we try more of those, we might come. um, It wouldn't be so much of an outlier type thing. So, you know, I don't know, just putting those two together. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of your goals for the Western thoroughbreds in the future and, you know, why, the why behind it all. Because it is a lot of work. I know you're passionate. I know you, you know, you love it. But um, where do you see this going for you in the future? Or where would you like it to go, rather? 
Yeah, so I guess, first of all, I just started this because I thought that these horses weren't getting the recognition they deserved, and it kind of grew from there. But I would really love to see uh, some more programs for thoroughbreds popping up in the Western industry. Um, there are already some programs in place for thoroughbreds coming off the track. Uh, the Jockey Club actually provides, uh, it's called TIP, or the Thoroughbred Incentive Program, where you can submit um, different show results and uh, get prizes at the end of the year. But it's really geared toward uh, jumping and dressage and eventing, stuff like that. <laughs> you don't see much in the barrel racing. So I think it would be really cool if we could somehow band together and get thoroughbred breeders on board, but um, have sort of sort of an incentive in place for thoroughbreds that either retire from the track or never go to the track and end up in the barrel pen, uh, just to encourage some participation there. But um, a thoroughbred incentive program in the barrel racing would be probably probably my number one goal, but also kind of a far out goal because it would take a lot to make that happen. So um, some other short-term stuff, I guess, would just be uh, getting the website put together a little bit better and reaching some more people online with that sort of thing and um, just uh, putting anything in place for the people that already helped me with the page and do a lot of work with me. So lots of stuff to work on this winter while I'm not out in the field, so. Yeah, I mean, I love it, though. I think, you know, I know that I'm going to, like, look back one day, and you're going to be the president of some thoroughbred something or another, and because um, <laughs> I know you'll get it done. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to get some of these things done that you have, you know, uh, thoughts of, and I know, I know you'll do it. Like, you're very, very goal oriented and you push and I love I think that's awesome that I think you know it's it, whatever you decide that you're gonna throw your heart into I know you'll do it for sure so uh, I was excited to see that you were doing it too is you know because you're right there isn't a lot of recognition going on out there as far as the breed goes um they are very capable and you know as far as trying them I feel like uh why not you know they're if it's Paige, which she's 80% thoroughbred, you probably have a better shot, in my opinion, if you're going to go and try to find something. Um, you have and, and don't have, you know, the money to go buy the, the best breeds that are or, or the winningest breeds out there in barrel racing. Like, why not try thoroughbred? You know, like, why not? I think that is, to me, makes more sense than going to try something to try to find, you know, maybe a Hancock horse that's might be a 3% Hancock somewhere. <laughs> you know, I like my 80% chance better than my 3%. Even though, yes. like, you know, even though, like, sometimes people look at me when they're like, you, you went and got a off-the-track thoroughbred, and I'm like, yeah, he's a sprinter. He can fly going fast. Like, why wouldn't I try him, you know? Um, the turning thing is the only thing that, you know, we, we constantly work on. Um, I don't know. It just, it makes sense to me. I don't, you know, I think that more people need to open their eyes to it and do it themselves. These people spend so much time on choosing stallions and um, breeding these horses to be great. So you have that to piggyback off of. Like, it's a, it's a resource that is there at your fingertips. So why not use it? You know, that's how I feel. Yeah, anyway. absolutely, though. I think 
what it comes down to is great breeding is great breeding. And, and I think we see that with Austin again in Stormcat and those horses that are popping up in the barrel horse world that you wouldn't think likely would do well there, but they are. And it's just, it's been centuries and decades of great breeding and it shows no matter what they're trying. So I think mm-hmm. that's pretty fantastic. And, and you can pick up a, grandson of awesome again off the track you know for a thousand dollars if you're lucky you know and you find the right one you can pick them up pretty affordably and you'd be surprised how well some of these horses vet and they're typically taken care of extremely well their entire racing career and um it's it's completely worth a gamble and it's almost not that much of a gamble if you know what you're doing Exactly. It's really not. I mean, I just felt like, and people ask me, you know, if you, because the older I get, the more I don't really want to ride two-year-olds. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really want to ride two- and three-year-olds that are, like, getting them broke and doing all that type of thing because I just, that's not fun for me anymore. You know, I want something that I can kind of hop on and then, you know, mess around with a little bit and then start on the pattern. Um, And it's a great segue to that point I feel like because they have a lot of that underneath their belt already um and people don't really take that into consideration a lot of times but you know it's definitely it's definitely worth the game boy and I'm so glad that um you there's people like you out there that are doing this to bring more you know education and knowledge to the public um so they can see you know the ability of, of these horses that are ready for us to start trying. So we appreciate you, Caitlin. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're busy and you got a lot going on, but um, it's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Casey. And hope to see you and your thoroughbred, Alvy accomplish some good things here in the future and hopefully advocate for this even more. So yeah, great, great to see you. <laughs> I can't wait. I've been riding them, and I'm trying. I was thinking maybe we would break out, like, our first race would be, they have a Christmas, like, an ugly Christmas sweater race going on down, <laughs> down the street. And uh, I was like, man, that would be so fun. So if I can get them in safe in time to do that, that would be, like, a really cool first race for us. So hopefully we'll get to do that. <laughs> that sounds like a blast. All right, girl. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Have a good one. And that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, thanks for joining us on The Rewind. If you get a second, give us a rating or review. We really appreciate your feedback. If you want to find out more, go check us out on Facebook. It's under the Betty blog. We'll see you soon, guys.